From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Welcome back to another episode of Theology on Mission, broadcasting to you from Northern Seminary. I'm flying alone without Dave Fitch again because we're offering a special podcast episode coming to you from the Mission of Preaching, which was our 2015 Missional Commons. Uh, if you don't want to miss any of the episodes, of especially the Missional Commons um, and all the other episodes we have here at Theology on Mission, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your app of choice. And while there, you could write us a short review. This episode is Dave Fitch talking to us about preaching. Proclamation or teaching? Question mark. So I believe, I believe as preachers, as proclaimers of the gospel, I believe every Sunday we need to proclaim. We also need to teach. We need to find the appropriate place to teach and upbuild Christians in the Word of God. But without proclamation, we're going to turn into um, wrinkled old fish, dull, living unto ourselves what we already know. We need the gospel proclaimed. Um, So I already went through the difference between teaching and proclamation. Okay, so uh, these are just my ideas. I'm throwing them out there for you to to discuss. I have a prejudice. I feel like I'm fighting this fight all the time. No, not teaching. Preaching. We need preaching. So there's a little bit of edge to what I'm saying here, so take it for what it's worth. But I think the teacher often comes before the congregation as the expert. You know, I studied New Testament with Scott McKnight. I know everything now. You need to listen to me. I'm going to... I'm going to lexicography every word, and you're going to be amazed, and I'm the only one who knows what I'm talking about here, and I control the Greek. That was a little bit of an extreme, but posture of expert versus the posture of presence. I think of 1 Corinthians 2. We proclaimed a gospel, not of strength, not of wisdom, but of weakness, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Presence. Being present with who you are, a lot of what Mandy was talking about last night. That's, you cannot proclaim over people, only among and into life situations. Real life. You can't get on a screen in in Seattle, Washington, and proclaim gospel to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where you don't know a single soul. You've got to proclaim among and in the people's lives. Okay. We need this humor because I'm getting way amped up this morning too much. Explanation. Okay, I already, went, I already went through that. Explanation versus announcement. Do you understand that difference? Can you get it? Announcement. Read this book. As old as it is, it's a keeper. 
What is the gospel? The gospel is that God has fulfilled his promise to Israel to bless the nations in Jesus Christ, and he's doing it now. He has come to make all things right. He has begun until the end of the world. And now we proclaim what that means today out of this text for this purpose. So um, announcement versus explanation. It's description versus instruction. I already went through on that. Uh, yeah, application. The focus on, on teaching is, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Three points in application, which usually means that the way sanctification happens is learn it up here in your mind, and then your mind tells your body what to do. <clears throat> and in my opinion, that only works for well-honed Christians, people who didn't get screwed up, people who actually listen to their parents. My son around? Uh, anyways. Uh, this scripture, or invitation, at the end of every gospel, Jesus is Lord, will you enter in? Will you enter in? Will you by faith trust? Will you confess sin? Will you affirm this truth for your life? I'll go into this in the next slide. But <clears throat> it's an invitation into something, a response right then and there. When you are overwhelmed by God and what he's doing, you get a picture for who he is and what he's doing you got to respond and enter in. Not wait until you get home and look at the notes and say, oh, i got like three things to do today to be a better Christian. Three things to do this week to be a better Christian. After, after two years of that, you've got a list of 300 things to do. And you look at it, and you're exhausted. And you go, why am I going to this church in the first place? Works righteousness. Uh, teaching tends to be a reinforcement. You're, it, it's teaching to the already convinced. It's a reinforcement of what you already know. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually good. I used to go to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night with my mom and dad, and I used to ask my, my dad, why are we doing this? Why are we going Sunday night and hearing the same thing we hear Sunday morning? Now I know. Reinforcement. It's just good. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Remember, remember. But, but that does not work when our souls and our bodies and our lives are struggling with the brokenness and the hurt and the pain of the world. We must be called into the world where Jesus is, is Lord to have eyes to see and to enter in. So application versus invitation. Reinforcement versus disruption. I believe a good sermon disrupts. Some say maybe that's your personality. Well, all I'm saying is the gospel calls us into something new. Every Sunday. Every Sunday we're getting saved. Christians need to get saved today. It isn't like when my parents grew up in the 50s where... The world was kind of Christianized, and you didn't have to do battle every day and, hear, and see, some, see a different narrative and a different story and a different world plaguing your mind every day. No, we need to get saved into the world where Jesus is Lord every Sunday. Um, for Christians, for non-Christians only, I, so, so the typical thing with C.H. Dodd was preaching was for non-Christians. 
teaching was for Christians. I'm arguing because of the cultural situation we live in today, Christians need preaching just as much as non-Christians. We need the gospel proclaimed into our lives and called into it regularly, every Sunday. Um, Christendom versus post-Christendom, well, all I'm saying is once you realize you're not in a Christian world, you need to have you need to have that world proclaimed over your life regularly because six days out of the week, if I could put it that way, I mean, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing it, but every day we're confronted with the temptations. I mean, the world lives as if God does not exist. And sometimes Christians get into the habits of living as if God does not exist. And we need proclamation to call us into the world where God does exist. Actually, he's ruling and reigning and bringing the world to himself. Um, fund understanding versus fund imagination. I think I've kind of talked about that enough. Take good notes versus instant response. Information versus formation. We're giving out information. Can do it, teaching. Formation. We're being formed into people who live under the reign and rule of Christ. Formation. Hope that makes sense. Let's go to the next slide. Here's just three things I do when I, when I preach a sermon. I find that, you know, the typical teaching expository sermon goes from word to word, sentence to sentence, kind of explains. And, and, and if I could just preamble. Uh, there is always a little teaching and preaching. And there is always a little preaching and teaching. Really. So the dichotomy is not totally clear. What I'm arguing for is the emphasis, the key rhetorical gifting we need to do again and again and reclaim is proclamation for mission. Proclaiming that God's at work in our lives. In this struggle with this person, or in this struggle on this street corner, or in this violence on this street corner, we need to proclaim the gospel here and invite the world to go inhabit his reign and see the kingdom birthed all around us. So instead of from word to word, I find experience to experience is a key thing I do when I'm preaching. I start out with where I think the congregation is, the experience we're dealing with. And then I proclaim the reality of the experience of Jesus as Lord and try to exposit it out of the text as to what it looks like and call people into it. Second thing is, normally I think people structure a sermon when they're teaching quite rigorously on the text, following the text word for word, if not word for word, sentence for sentence, and that's the architecture of the sermon. I believe the sermon is built on a key rhetorical phrase. I'm, I'm in the midst of preparing to preach tomorrow at peace of Christ here, and my rhetorical phrase, this is the text about Jesus, the Canaanite woman, the healing of the Canaanite woman uh, in Matthew chapter 15, and my, I'm still working this out, this usually all comes together roughly about an hour before church. Um, Jesus is calling, this is my rhetorical phrase, Jesus is calling us to lay presumption for a radical, persistent trust in him. Now, I'm going to spend 
time in the sermon unwrapping what presumption looks like, the experience of presumption towards God out of the text. And then I'm going to proclaim what radical, persistent faith looks like out of this text as the response to entering into Christ's lordship over our lives. Through the text of the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15, we're going through the miracle texts at our, at our church. That's, so that is the architecture of the sermon, that proclamation. God is calling us to put presumption aside. for a radical, <laughs> persistent faith in him. And by the way, if you have that down, hopefully I have it down by tomorrow morning. Uh, see, see how much freedom that gives me? I actually, had, I didn't exhibit it right there, but I know that phrase, and now I can work <coughs> off of it. And that becomes the architecture, and that's the proclamation over all of our struggles to presume that God should have done this and God will do this and God's and all of our boxing of in, we proclaim, put presumption aside for a radical faith and trust in Christ. You see, you see how the rhetorical phrase works? Okay. And then lastly, teaching ends up uh, usually three points in an application or two points, or if you're Billy Graham, nine points in, in an application uh, or, or an altar call. <clears throat> uh, I, I think these are the five liturgical responses that have been embodied in the church's liturgy for 2,000 years. And they represent the response to the word of God that we should be trained into. Confession of sins. Churches liturgically confess sin, corporately or individually or in a, in a penitent. Penance, I almost said penitentiary box, but you know what I'm talking about. The, the penance. What, confessional, thank you. <clears throat> uh, affirmation of truth. We need to, sometimes we just need to affirm truth, stand in it, call people to live and stand on this truth for their lives. That's a response. That's, that's the creeds. You know, when we, when we together as a church gather together to say the creed, the Apostles' Creed together, uh, response of praise and thanksgiving. Sometimes we just need to praise God, give him thanksgiving, open our lives to what he would do. Can we thank God for this suffering that we're going through? We want to quickly presume that this is what this means and this is where God's taking me. God calls us to put the presumption aside. He's calling us to lay presumption aside. Okay, open up our lives and be thankful for what he's doing and what possibilities God is doing in our suffering. Okay, uh, act of faith or commitment to the future. Sometimes we are prompted to go forward just as I am. I'm going to respond in faith. I'm going to give this part of my life to Christ. I'm going to decide tomorrow to go talk to that person. I'm going to decide tomorrow to make an application for that job. I'm going to decide tomorrow to enter into that violence on the street corner and not presume that this is, this is all evil and there's no reconciliation there and, you know, a response of faith. And then lastly, uh, submission to his rule. That's the Lord's Prayer. That typically we all, historically, liturgically, we've always sung, or sung and or said, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The act of submission. So those are like 
immediate responses after every sermon, I'm not saying all five, one is appropriate, maybe two, to call people into after a sermon, right there and then. At Life on the Vine and sometimes at Peace of Christ, we used to actually give, open the, open the place up for people to respond in prayer with a little phrase. I think this is what Matt Tebby started doing at, at, our, at church one Sunday, and somebody said, oh, that's a good idea. This is the way liturgy develops, you know. Oh, that's a good idea. So we say a little prayer like, like, Lord, I give up the presumption that you open up my life. Help me be persistent in believing you're at work in my life. You know, that would be a good, that would be a good uh, response at this And, and so after every gathering, as we go to the table, we're changed by the responding to the word of God. And, and God just called me to enter into the violence over there on the street corner and see him at work. Now see how that changes my idea of mission? God's at work out there. See how proclamation shapes our lives for mission and without it, we turn into dull, boring exegetes.